the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The spiritual good of others is more important than insisting on even divinely God-given, authorized rights. Even the ones God himself has said you deserve to get, we should be willing to give up for the sake of other people. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. We are, as Christians, to prefer others in love through a willingness to give up our rights. It doesn't mean that we don't have the rights. It means we choose not to exercise those rights. And although it seems that Paul is making a turn in topics in chapter 9 by talking about the minister's right to pay, his right to pay as an apostle, he's actually still in the context of the topic of Christian liberty. And what he is doing is setting up himself as an example of one who willingly gave up a specific right, that is pay, for the sake of the church. But before he goes on to explain that, which we see a bit of at the end of today's passage, but we'll see more thoroughly in the rest of the chapter, we are given a powerful teaching on the apostle and pastor's pay. Now, this would include many different areas of vocational ministry and not just limited to a pastor, a seminary professor, for example, a missionary, to name just a couple. But with the role of an apostle no longer extant, The closest connection we have to Paul's role would be that of a pastor. And this morning, we continue looking at Paul's defense of the pastor's right to a salary in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 14. I invite you to turn there with me, and you will see that he continues this topic, but ties it into the topic of Christian liberty. This morning, we're going to look at five explanations for the vocational minister's pay. Five explanations for the vocational, that is, employed, paid, salaried, minister's pay. The first explanation for paying a pastor or minister is the proof from Scripture. I'm going to read for you verses 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake. It was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. Now, if you recall, and you can just look back in your Bibles, we finished last last week in verse 7 with Paul giving us three examples from everyday life, secular life, if you will, in which the worker gets paid for his work. They were the soldier, the farmer, and the shepherd. 
And what he is saying in verse 8 is that his proof that a pastor or an apostle should get paid is not just from these types of secular examples, but also from the Word of God, the Scriptures, particularly the Mosaic Law. Now, this is very typical, as we know, of the Apostle Paul. Paul is never, or rarely at least, content with making an argument simply based on how things are, the status quo, societal norm. Rather, as he does here, he appeals to Scripture, to the Word of God. Now, the law in your Bibles is capitalized, capital L, law, and so here we know it's referring to the Scriptures. It's not referring to Roman law or even Jewish law as man-made, but the law in the Scriptures, God's law. And here we're referring to, Paul's referring to the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of your Bible in which God lays out His law for His people, the directions, how to glorify Him, what is to set the nation of Israel apart from the rest of the world, God's law. And here's the point. He is saying that I don't just have human authority or human examples for what I'm saying. I have divine authority in claiming that I, as an apostle, have the right to a salary. In other words, he says God's law teaches the same thing that he just wrote about in verse 7 regarding the soldier and the farmer and the shepherd. And the verse he's quoting here is Deuteronomy 25, 4, which we saw last week in a cross-reference in 1 Timothy. The Old Testament says exactly this, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, something that you're all familiar with. No, I'm just kidding. What is this? Before the invention of modern machinery, an ancient agricultural practice, remember this was 2,000 years ago, was to hook up what was called a threshing sledge on an ox so that the ox would walk around and pull this threshing sledge, this thresher, behind it. And this device would be dragged over grain that had been harvested, and what it would do, it would put pressure on that grain, and the kernel would pop out of the stock, the kernel being the part that we eat. Now, we don't actually eat the kernel itself. We eat things made out of the kernel, your flowers and your oats and things like that. It's the part you wanted to eat. You didn't want the fibrous stock that gets stuck in your teeth. Some of you have started eating these things in the the recent years as they tell us that stuff is healthy, but it's, it's hard. It's why a lot of us like white rice, not brown rice, okay? You want to get the stock out. This is way more than you want to know. Now, going back to the law, The law called for the ox not to be muzzled during this process. And a muzzle is the same as you would see on a dog today where you muzzle a dog's mouth because you don't want it to bark or if it's a a dog that's prone to bite, you just don't want the dog to open its mouth. And God said you cannot, while the ox is doing the threshing for you, you cannot muzzle him. You cannot close his mouth. And the reason this was is so... Very simply, the ox could eat while he was working. And that's actually why people would muzzle the ox so he wouldn't eat all of the grain as he was doing the work. And the idea here is that even the beast of the field, even the ox, is able to receive sustenance for his work. The analogy to the pastor or the apostle and his pay is very clear. And then Paul goes on to address and explain this verse. The end of verse 9, he says, God is not concerned about oxen, is He? Or is He speaking altogether for our sake? And he says, yes, it's for our sake. It's for people's sake. 
because the plowman should hope that he's going to get some fruit of his labors and the thresher is going to get some share of the crops he is threshing. Now, the end of verse 9 is not saying that God doesn't care anything about animals. Animals glorify Him. They're part of His creation. Elsewhere in Scripture, His provision for animals is seen. But as it is here, as it is in Deuteronomy 25, as it is in the Gospels, God's provision and care for animals is shown only to highlight His greater care for people. Most prominently, of course, is Jesus' saying in Matthew 10, and he's addressing the concern about, uh, that, the, that the disciples would have. And he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? That would be the cheapest animal. If you wanted to eat meat in that society and you had no money, you could at least eat sparrows because they were the cheapest thing you could buy. Two for a cent. And he goes on, Jesus says, And yet not one of them falls to the ground, either flitters improperly or dies, and God doesn't know about it. In other words, God even knows about that. God even is concerned about these cheap two-for-a-cent sparrows. That is the passage where he goes on to say, even the hairs on your head are numbered by God. But he ends by saying, how much more then is God's concern for his people? In fact, Matthew 10, 31, the end of that, the conclusion of that passage is, so do not fear, human, you are more valuable than many sparrows. In the same way, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is bringing up the oxen to make an argument from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if God cares about the lesser, the sparrows or the oxen, then he certainly cares about the greater the height of his creation, people. He cares about the beast of the field. He definitely cares about you. Subsequently, if even the beast of the field makes a living through his threshing, how much more the human through his work, the pastor through his ministry. Now, Paul isn't taking this Old Testament passage out of context, although it may seem like that. But if you read the entirety of Deuteronomy 25, where this is originally found, the verse about the ox, which Paul quotes, seems out of place even in that chapter, even in its original context. Because when you read Deuteronomy 25, it is all about human relationships, various laws regarding human relationships. Specifically, you will see a theme in Deuteronomy 25, socioeconomic relationships between man and man. And the reason that verse is there in Deuteronomy 25 is for the same purpose that Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians to emphasize the care that God has and that we should have for other people. So just clarify, just as Paul uses the oxen and threshing as an analogy for people, that's exactly how it was used in Deuteronomy 25. Paul makes that very point in verse 10. He says, this verse is about oxen, but it wasn't written for oxen. It's written for us. That's very obvious. And if it's not obvious, may I quote Martin Luther, who comments on this verse and says, oxen cannot read. The law is written for us. The law is to instruct us on how to treat one another and to treat God. In other words, the primary application, the primary application is for us. It is not for the animal. Why for us? At the end of verse 10, because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. There is an intrinsic connection between one's activity 
and one's compensation for that activity. I don't think you even, as we usually think of it, you don't go to work and say, well, I hope I get paid. It is a hope that is basically, I know it's coming. So, beast or man, all who work are to share in the fruit of their labors. And so, Paul clearly shows that there is proof for what he is claiming in God's law. You have to understand as well that when the apostles refer to it is written, it's always the Old Testament. There are a couple times where one of the men who penned Scripture referred to another man who penned Scripture. But at this time, there was only the Old Testament that was part of the Scriptures. Now we have the New Testament as well. The New Testament was being written at the time. And so just as for us, it is God's Word. The second explanation for the vocational minister's pay is the provision for service. In verse 11, he quite simply says, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? We tend to think of payment for goods. We spend our money on things that we get in return that are physical, that are tangible. I give you cash. You allow me to live in your home. You provide shelter. That's tangible. The roof, the walls, the floor, the protection, the feeling of safety. I swipe my card. You let me take these bags of groceries home and keep them, consume them. Sowing material things to reap material things. We think that way. Oh, I got a bonus. Now I can buy that thing, even if that thing is not long-lasting, like a home or a car. It's a flight. It's a hotel stay. It is food that you're going to eat half of before you even get out of the parking lot. We understand that. We live in a capitalist society. We're very thankful for that. And so our mindset revolves around that. But the principle of reaping material things should also apply to sowing spiritual things. Material things being, of course, the things that are necessary for living. And for Paul, this sowing refers to his missionary work, the evangelism, the church planting, the training, the teaching, the admonishing, the rebuking, writing this very letter that we're studying this morning. All of that was his work. And part of the challenge for some to fully grasp what he's saying is, unfortunately, many of us value material things more than spiritual things. I'm not talking about my service to you. I'm talking about even in your own life. We value material things more than spiritual things. I know I'm going to get angry. I know it's going to make me not be able to be a good dad and be a good husband for a while, but I need this. I need to buy this. And we're willing to sacrifice the spiritual for the material. And that's a problem. Because not only are spiritual things more important than material things, far more weighty than material things. In comparison, material things are insignificant to spiritual things. We like our comfort. We like not being hungry. We expect these things. We find comfort in these things. But all of you who are believers, I know, would say, and this is impossible, but hypothetically speaking, if I were to give you the choice between never eating again, and so you would last a few days before you die, versus losing your salvation, you say, I'm keeping my salvation. But because we have been blessed, if we can call it that, because we have been given much, we want more. My kids couldn't believe, as I explained to them, now two of them can't really grasp this, the older one can, 
the cost of a brand new iPhone and the fact that people will sleep overnight. People with homes, people who can afford an iPhone, will live like a homeless person so that they can be one of the first to get a $1,000 cell phone, which they could order online and get two days later, shipped to their home. And they do that every year. Now, verified or not, conspiracy or not, the whole thing about, you know, these big companies purposely hijack your phone so after three or four years they're basically useless, have no battery life. You've heard that. Some people think they do that on purpose. Well, even the people who are making millions of dollars off of these phones still give you three to four years. And yet people will do this year after year. We love our stuff. We love our material things. And the more we have, the more we want the better one next year and then a year from then, next one. Some of us are sitting here. This is not a bad thing. Some of us are sitting here with a full understanding that your cell phone now has six cameras on it with zero understanding of how to use any of them. It's nuts. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have these things. I'm saying that as believers, we need to value spiritual things over material things. And you know you value material things over spiritual things by simply looking at your pocketbook. How much of your bank account is going to things which you receive nothing back from? Missionaries you've never met. Christian organizations that don't shepherd you at all. Children that you can feed overseas that you will never meet. Who send you letters once a year and you know they were forced to write that letter. We become greedy. We come, become materialistic. We become worldly. We become more secular than we ought to be. To be sure, Paul and all Christian ministers and all Christians who serve in some way will receive their true and eternal payment from the Lord directly. But now, for now, appreciation should be shown by meeting ministers' needs. And churches are to do this not out of their abundance, but out of privilege and duty. We know that the churches of Macedonia, which included Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and probably others, they supported Paul financially despite being in dire circumstances both physically and spiritually. What I mean is this, these churches had very little to give, and they were under constant persecution for their faith. In fact, turn ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5. through 5. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. They in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their deep poverty. Wow. Look up, guys. You ever hear those two in connection in this world of ours? In this country of ours? Abundance of joy connected with deep poverty? Verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They had nothing and they begged Paul to take their money, to give to other people. You've seen this on the streets of San Francisco where homeless people are giving other homeless people their food and their cash. Whereas the middle class put it deeper in their pockets and say, sorry, buddy, I don't have any change on me. We need to be careful, guys. We need to be careful how we view money, how we view the blessings of comfort and protection and shelter and conveniences and internet and things like that from the Lord. Well, there must be a provision for service. Thirdly, the preference for sacrifice. The preference for sacrifice in verse 12. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. 
And now we start seeing where Paul starts talking about his willingness to sacrifice, to give up his Christian liberty, his right. Even though Paul didn't receive pay, it was for a specific reason that doesn't negate the right that he has. The first phrase of verse 12 shows that there were others who ministered to the Corinthians who received payment for this service. And Paul says if they had the right to this, if they took payment, Paul asked, do we not more? Why more? Because he was the founder of the church. He was an apostle. He has a special relationship with the church as their spiritual father. Though not a direct comparison, it's as if a pastor of a church today said, wait, wait a minute, you gave the guest speaker an honorarium, shouldn't I get something too? We support these missionaries who come once every five years and give us a slideshow, shouldn't I get paid too? That's basically what Paul is saying. If these other guys got paid, don't I have the right as your apostle, as the founder of your church, as the one who led you all to Christ? If the associate pastor gets a salary, if the children's minister, if the High school pastor gets a salary. Should not the senior pastor deserve a salary too? And of course, the answer is a resounding yes. Nevertheless, Paul says, we do not use this right. And this is a reference back to the fact that both he and Barnabas didn't receive pay from the Corinthians, but paid their own way through their secular jobs. And as he continues, Paul now brings us back to the larger topic of giving up one's Christian liberty for the sake of others. He says that they chose not to receive payment, endure all things, he says, so as to not hinder the gospel. The word endure means to bear a burden, to pass over in silence. It's the idea of protecting, covering someone. We'll see this in 1 Corinthians 13 when it says love endures all things. And we understand this in our modern usage of the word as well. I endure this heat. I endure this time of shelter in place. Now, Paul's willingness to endure any sort of hardship, particularly here having to have a second job, is for the furtherance of the gospel because anything he does is for the furtherance of the gospel. He doesn't want to be a hindrance in any way. And this is a good reminder that more often than not, it is those who are called to be proclaimers of the gospel that are the greatest hindrance to the gospel. The gospel itself is not a hindrance to itself. We are the hindrance. We are the ones who misprioritize. We are the ones who fear man. We are the ones who keep quiet. We are the ones who would rather, in our minds and our gross assumptions, keep that friendship than risk it by sharing the gospel. We are the hindrance. We're supposed to be the hose, right? We're supposed to be the tube through which it flows. We get all rusted and corroded and blocked up inside so the water does not flow freely. And if it does come out... It's all messed up and dirtied and compromised. But this does beg the question, how does receiving pay for apostolic ministry, for pastoral ministry, become a hindrance to the gospel? Fear of man, refusal to evangelize, of course we understand that's a hindrance. But doesn't Paul just say that others receive pay? And isn't this whole passage saying that others should receive pay? Isn't every church in the world today staffed by those who are in some way paid, yet the gospel still goes forth? How is him or Barnabas receiving pay a hindrance to the gospel? Well, it's one of those things where he doesn't say explicitly, so we don't know for sure. We can't be dogmatic. We don't know what he's referring to, what he has in mind. But the historical and specific literary contexts 
give us some clue as to what he might mean. Today, paying pastors is biblically established and a cultural norm. Back then, this was new territory. And I don't mean paying someone who is a religious authority. They've been doing that for centuries. What was new territory was Christianity. Paul didn't want, perhaps, people to think that he was doing what he was doing out of selfish motive, selfish gain, especially when this is something new. We think about cult leaders today, right? What are they in it for? They're in it for the power, they're in it for the money, and unfortunately, they're in it for the women, often underage. See this over and over again. Even in our modern day, right? Someone was just recently jailed for something like this, and there are women who still swear allegiance to him, who are outside of the prison, dancing and holding up signs. It is nuts. These people are famous actresses and business people and doctors. You think, how can this be? And yet it still happened. But that's the idea you have to see as how many people viewed Christianity. Oh, here's another one of these fake religions. And so these people are just in it for the money. Another scam. And again, we don't know for sure, but perhaps that's what Paul was thinking. He didn't want people to think that in order to hear the gospel meant that you were obligated to pay something. Even some of the biggest world religions have that. They have tiers, they have levels, and you pay your way into the secret chambers and the upper echelons. And so, that could be a reason. There could be another reason, speaking of new territory. Remember, Paul was the first and the primary apostle, not to Jews, but to Gentiles. He was called to the Gentiles. This is even more pertinent as they would not be familiar with these concepts, unlike the Jews who would have Deuteronomy 25.4, who understood these things, who had centuries of required tithing to the Levites and the priesthood. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.